How are you? Good. Good. We went sledding yesterday. That was fun. That was fun. We had a good time as a family yesterday. Quality time. There's still screams and yells and fights that are in it, but man, overall, it's been a pretty good weekend. Uh, man, this is week four. We're in week four of this uh, message series we're going through called uh, Intimacy Issues, and it's really just centered around this vision of from God that we feel like is from God for our church uh, and ultimately for you uh, as individuals. And growing intimacy with God uh, will always lead uh, to growing intimacy in our relationships, uh, growing love uh, for people. Uh, and, and our relationships and our life. And we've been kind of going through week by week, you know, week one, if you remember, uh, that was about really what intimacy with God means uh, to know God, to know Jesus, uh, to know Christ. Like, what does it mean to know him? Uh, we see that word a lot in scripture and, um, and we learned about why it's important. Why intimacy with God is so important. And then week two, we, we learn about why it's difficult, uh, why intimacy is so difficult uh, in our lives, uh, with God, in our relationships, uh, in our lives. Uh, we're just not good at it. We're not good at intimacy. We're not good at love, receiving love, giving love, and things like that. And then, man, week three, uh, we learned about how intimacy with God returns through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we learned two ways uh, of how we grow, not the only ways, but we learned two ways in how we grow in intimacy with God. And that's really just experiencing the power of the resurrection, uh, seeing this reversal of sin, this transformation uh, in our life, and then also sharing in, in Christ's sufferings. Uh, when we suffer, uh, we grow in intimacy with God. When we suffer, we're becoming like Jesus in his death, and we grow in intimacy in that way. Man, today, here we are today. Uh, the past is the past. Uh, don't know tomorrow. This is where we are right now for this uh, 30 minutes, 35 minutes. And man, I'm calling this message today uh, the order of intimacy. Uh, the order of intimacy. There is an order. There's an order that is crucial and how we relate uh, with God, how we interact with God. And this order, uh, it is the difference between intimacy with God or distance from him. It's crucial. And, and also, how, consequently, how we relate uh, with others. You know, uh, 2019 was a year where we were trying to save some money, and we went from like a, you know, a professional mechanic to a private mechanic. Um, so, you know, we have this friend who, you know, he kind of, he, he knows a lot about cars and kind of does work on people's cars on the side as a side job. So he's not like a professional, like, you know, I guess licensed mechanic, I'm not sure. Um, but, you know, just to save some money, uh, we've been going to him and he's been super helpful. Uh, man, I've been learning a lot about car engines since, cause he also wants to teach you. Um, so I've been learning a lot about car engines and car engines are, are super like complex. They're incredibly complex systems. I'm intimidated when I open that hood and I look at an engine, I'm just like, man, there is so much going on in here. Like there's so many moving parts and uh, there's just so much going on in here. And, and a car engine has an order. I mean, it has an order. It starts with the ignition, right? That's the first step. And then something happens. It goes to the next thing and it goes to the next thing and the injectors and whatever all these other things are called. Uh, there is an order in how an engine functions. And man, uh, when something goes wrong, 
man, now in the past, now you can have like a code reader and you like plug it in and you, you get a code and it can just tell you, it can take you straight to the problem, right? But before you could do all that, before cars got all electric on you or whatever, digital, um, you, they couldn't do that. You know, they had to start from the beginning, right? They had, to, they had to go through this order, the mechanics. They had to start from the beginning, and they had to just check off, okay, ignition's good. That's not the problem. Okay, what's next? Okay, that's good. That's not the problem. And they got to keep going down the line, trying to come to the, you know, the issue of, uh, of the car, and they have to make sure everything checks out step by step until they find the problem. Man, a relationship with God I'm telling you right now, it's not as complicated as a car engine. It's not as complicated as a car engine, but I'm telling you, there is an order. Uh, there is an order, and we often get this order wrong. Man, we like to skip around. We like to skip around and take shortcuts, shortcuts thinking we can have intimacy with God in our own way thinking we can love God and receive love from God in the way that we want. And that's just not how it works. There's an order to it. So we've come to put our faith in Christ. That's number one. We've come to put our faith in Christ. Well, what's the next thing? What's the next thing we got to look at, right? What's the next thing we've got to get right? Man, if we don't get this, this today's aspect right, if we don't get this right with this, with, and this aspect of intimacy with God right, we will get most everything wrong. We will get most everything wrong. Man, so we're going to look in uh, 1 John, uh, in this book, 1 John. The text is going to be on the screen. I'm going I'm to read through uh, the whole scripture. It's 1 John chapters four, or chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Really just a powerful book uh, if, you, if you've read First John. And these are just some powerful scriptures. We can learn so much um, about intimacy with God, his love for us, uh, th uh, this love for him that we should be striving for, and then ultimately love uh, for people. So it's up there on the screen, and I'm going to read through it. First John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21, it says, Beloved... Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, 
so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is so, also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Man, this is written by John. John was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And not only was he one of his 12 disciples, Jesus was like one of his like boys. Like he had like an inner circle of three and those were like his closest friends. And he was one of those three, Peter, James, and John. So John has this all access like experience with Jesus uh, during Jesus' life in the time that he knew him. And John, he writes this book uh, to Christians to assure them of salvation and to assure them of God's working in their lives by looking at some marks in their lives, by looking at some, some fruit, some marks in their lives. And one of them is their love. One of them is their love for his, his or her fellow Christians, as well as love for those outside of the faith. But John explains how it's vital, it's vital to, to define love, to define it and to know and understand where love comes from. You know, in our culture, uh, when, when like you Google love, if you Google love, I did that this week in preparing for this. I Google everything. I Google love and, and definitions came up like uh, an intense feeling of deep affection, uh, a great interest or pleasure, or a deep romantic sexual attachment to someone. These definitions are wrong. Man, they're not like, they're, they're just, they're, they're, they're so woefully incomplete. It's just incomplete and wrong how our culture views what love is and how our culture defines love. The love we see in scripture isn't just any love, particularly not like this, let alone love defined by Merriam-Webster or, or whatever it is. In scripture, love comes from God, whether you realize it or not. Love, it comes from God. It comes from God and is defined, we see here in this scripture, through a demonstration. In verses 9 and 10, it's the love of God in Jesus Christ on the cross. He defines what love. This is the definition of love and this is the demonstration of it. The cross that you see in verses 9 and 10. It's not any committed self-sacrifice Right? It's not any committed self-sacrifice, but it's the committed self-sacrifice of an all-powerful God to an undeserving and powerless people. Man, that's powerful when you think about God suffering and the commitment that he has and the self-sacrifice he has. This all-powerful, sovereign, omnipotent, amazing God self-sacrifices and he commits to such undeserved powerless people guys the cross is the basis the cross is the basis it's the foundation of love whether you realize it or not and there's billions of people that don't 
realize that the cross is the foundation and the basis of love. Without the cross, you'll have futile definitions of love, like in this dictionary, like in this dictionary, in this Google. Our cultural definition of love is something we feel. And it's just something we feel, romantic love, sexualized love, you know, whatever it is. It's something we feel. Biblical love is committed, active, regardless of feelings. It's self-sacrifice. Man, that's love. It's defined by a demonstration. It's defined by a demonstration. So whenever you see the word love here, love, it's used 28 times. I underlined them all in this chapter on the screen. 28 times it says love in this text. That's a lot. I think God's trying to tell us something, right? But when you see that word love, it's not just any kind of love. It's not the cultural love, man. When you see that word love in there, what it is is it's the committed self-sacrificial love as demonstrated by Jesus Christ on the cross. That's the love that he's talking about. That's the love he's talking about. So with that said, man, we see here in this text that there is this repeated language of order, of order, this order of intimacy. We see here in this text, in in the beginning of verses 7 and 11, it says, beloved, right? He opens these verses, beloved. Beloved means a much-loved person, a much-loved person. He's basically saying, much-loved people, much-loved people, let us love one another, Man, he's starting first with their identity as somebody who is loved by God. That's the first thing. Man, he's starting with that. Beloved, much loved people, people much loved first by God as shown in Christ on the cross, let us love one another in this way. Order. And then verse 10, it says, in this is love. Not that we loved God. He's like, get it right. (laughs) There's an order here. Not that we loved God, right? What's it say? But that he loved us. Course correction, switch it, order. We got to get that right. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us. Verse 19, man, it just sticks out right there. We love him because he first loved us. You see that word first. There's an order. There's an order to intimacy with God. There's an order to intimacy with others in our relationships. Man, these verses not only declare God's love for us, but they also tell us when he loved us. That is critical, is the when. And the answer is first. It's first. Guys, the order is everything. The order is everything. Man, the Pharisees asked Jesus, right? The Pharisees asked Jesus, what are the two great commands? You know, like, what does what all of God's law boil down to? What are the greatest commands? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God. That's the first one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. And the second is like this, he says. The second is like this, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor, That's all of God's law boiled down. It's those two commandments. It's good to want to love God more. Man, we read that. Okay, love the Lord your God. I get that. I want that. Man, I want to do that. How do I love God more? How do I love God more? Man, that is a good thing to desire, 
It's good to want to love God more, but you have to go a step backwards. <laughs> you got to go a step backwards. And we should be praying, Lord, grow me in knowledge of your love for me. That's how we grow in love for God and for others. We got to go a step backwards. That has to be our prayer. Father, I want to love you, but first, please show me and grow me in my understanding of your love for me. We got to go there. We need to move our starting line. We got to move our starting line back. Man, we got to move our starting line away from us. <laughs> We got to move it away from us, from a me-centered start, right? When I say, man, I want to love God more, that really just starts with me. It starts with I. I want to love God more. And then we muster up all the strength we can. You know, God, this is going to be a great day. I'm going to love you so much. Uh, but then we mess up and we do things that don't love God. And man, we don't start with ourselves. Man, we have to move the starting line back to God. We got to move it back to God from a me-centered start to one that starts with God. Before we did anything, before we did anything good or bad, before the world existed, before we were born, before we had faith, before we put our faith in Christ, man, before we lived carelessly and neglected God's word, before we weren't bent on our knee in prayer, God loved us. He loved us first. Before we did anything good or bad, God loved us. I like to really, you know, bash the Eagles and Eagles fans. And so I Google, what, what are the worst things Eagles fans have done? <laughs> Everything is on Google. And there's a list. There's a list, top 10 things, bad things the Eagles fans have done. Look at this list. Read it out loud? Yeah. <laughs> They, <laughs> y'all threw snowballs at Santa at Vet Stadium. Actually, it said they threw. There was a, a, an original Santa, and they threw snowballs at him. So the Santa had to leave, and this kid, this first twenty-year-old kid, Frank Valino, came out of the stands and was like, "I'll be Santa for the rest of the game." And they pelted him with snowballs, and he had to leave. Also on the list, they threw D batteries, D-sized batteries at players once. D-sized batteries at players once. Guys, before you guys did these things, God loved you. God loved you. Eagles fans threw a cheesesteak in the face of an ejected Redskins player. Uh, after uh, a win, Eagles fans started punching police horses outside the stadium. Guys, before you guys did these things, God loved you. God loved you. I read about this. I didn't know about this. When you... Uh, Eagles fans, uh, this is 1983, they beat up a guy named Zima Williams, uh, uh, this guy who was just a super Redskins fan. They called him Chief Z. They stripped him of his outfit and his clothes, threw beer at him. They broke his leg. 
He was in a wheelchair for a year. Before you did that, God loved you. Now we're laughing. We're laughing. And it is kind of funny. I got a kick out of this. But man, it's serious. Man, we're dead serious in this, man. Before you did anything good, before you did anything bad, God loved you. He loved you first before you ever loved him. And that changes things. That changes things. He loved you when you could not have been worse or further from him than you were. When you look through scripture, it's all over scripture. Before Abraham was a great man of faith, he was an idolater. He was an idolater, but God loved him first and he chose him. He didn't deserve it. God chose him. God loved him. He chose him to set a people apart for himself. Man, before God's law even came in, before the Ten Commandments even came into play with Israel, he rescued them from Egypt. They didn't even know God's law yet, but he loved them. He rescued them. He rescued them. Man, knowing Judas would betray him, knowing Judas would betray him, Jesus loved him first. He loved him first, and he demonstrated it by washing Judas' feet. He washed the man's feet right before he betrayed him. Not to mention, he went to the cross the next day for Judas. Before we do anything, God loves you. He loves us. Our relationship with God is not defined by our love for God. It's not defined by our love for God, but by his love for us. And the cross demonstrates it. The cross defines it. The cross demonstrates it. His love for us initiates our, really, our relationship of love with him. It initiates it. We love him and others from the influence of his love. If there's no influence of his love, we're not going to love him and we're not going to love others as we should. It's not going to happen. A growing love for God is only the common sense response to knowing and receiving the love of God. We can't love God the way we should unless we are receiving and living in his love. It's his love first. His love first. Our relationships with others are not defined by our love for each other. Our relationships with others are defined by God's love for us. They're defined by God's love for you and whether the other people know it, it's defined by God's love for them. That changes the way we relate with people. That changes the way we relate with people. If we don't get this order right, man, love and intimacy with God and love and intimacy in our relationships and authentic relationships in our daily lives will be lost on us. Just lost. If the self-sacrifice of all-powerful God on the cross isn't your definition, your basis, or your foundation of love, intimacy will be lost. Now, how does this order look in my life? How does this order look in my life? What difference do these truths make on our daily lives and relationships? What would your life look like 
what would your life look like if when you woke up in the morning, instead of the day being characterized by fear and chasing a sense of significance and value through what you do, which is your job, your parenthood, success, a to-do list, you knew that before you did anything, before you did anything, you're already there. <laughs> you're already approved. You're already appreciated. You're already loved. Man, you are already valued. You are already there. How would that change your day? How would that change your relationships? You are intimately loved by God. The perfect love of God in Christ on the cross and its effect on our lives, it casts out fear. It casts out fear of judgment, fear of failure, and all these things that we get, these, all of our hangups. How would that change your day? Such undeserved grace and love has a huge impact on how we relate with others. The love of Christ enables us to love him and others. It makes us so secure and so fortified in this love, this unchanging, never-ending love. Instead of chasing, you can rest and you can trust him. Maybe you wouldn't feel like you have to win every argument. Any married couples in there, you know? You feel like you gotta win every argument? Maybe you wouldn't feel that way anymore because you're so satisfied with God's love, nothing else can satisfy you. Not any gain you can get from winning an argument. That's how satisfied you are in God's love. Or maybe you, you, you wouldn't feel like you have to know everything, right? There's people that, man, they just feel like they have to know everything. Or you wouldn't feel like you have to have the last word, married couples. Anybody struggle with that? You feel like you gotta have the last word? You can let things go. Failure wouldn't destroy you and success wouldn't either. Success wouldn't either. God's love for you is greater than anything gained through winning an argument, having the last word, whatever it is. What about our marriage? What would our marriages look like? Now, I've been thinking about this all year. What would our marriages look like? It's common that spouses, you know, we, we feel we have to earn our spouse's love, right? Do we not? We feel like we have to earn our spouse's love. That's not a gospel-centered marriage. That's not a gospel-centered marriage. You want to know what a gospel-centered marriage looks like? That's not a gospel-centered marriage. That's a marriage, a marriage like that is the quickest way out of intimacy. It's oppressive to have to earn your spouse's love because you're dealing with perpetually sinful, discontent hearts and enough is never enough. How freeing if each spouse woke up in the morning and knew that before they'd done anything today, succeeded, failed, washed dishes, before you did the laundry, mowed the lawn, did your hair just right, before you've even had sex, before you've done any of these things, you were intimately loved and committed to unconditionally. And you didn't have to do all these things to work your way. 
to earn your spouse's love. That's a gospel-centered marriage. That's a gospel-centered marriage. That's elusive, though. That's elusive. It's hard. It's hard. It's oppressive when you feel like you have to do these things first before you can know you're loved, but it starts with God. If we don't get the order right with God, we will never get it right at home. Man, what about our work? What would your work look like? Man, how freeing to your staff if they knew that before they did anything, before they compiled a report, before they hit a milestone, before they sold a house, before they reached a monthly quota, they knew that they were loved by their boss. That they were loved by their boss. But it starts with God. If we don't get it right with God, we'll never get it right at work. We won't. Now, what about our children? This is an area I've been convicted in. What about our children? How freeing for our children would it be if they knew that they didn't have to earn their father's love through being good or not making a mess, right? Or, or whatever it is. They could wake up in the morning and they didn't feel like they had to follow a rule or, or get a certain grade or, or, or a certain GPA or get into a certain college to be accepted and approved by their parents and to be loved by their parents. They didn't have to fear they didn't have to fear. On the surface, we say, we say we love our children, and I absolutely believe we do. I love my children. I do. Before they've done anything, I believe that. But when they do wrong, man, what happens? Why am I so harsh? Why am I so critical? Man, why am I so angry? Why am I so harsh? When does this love that I declare translate into my actions and demonstrations of grace and mercy and patience? It just shows below the surface, you know, I'm saying something, but below the surface, what I believe, it's not going deep enough. God's love for me is not going deep enough. Because that's where it starts. It starts with God. If I don't get the order right with God, I will never get it right with my kids. Man, God has been, he's been growing me and working me. It's been painful, but it's been good. Man, what about your lives? I'm afraid our view of God and his love for us, of this order and our view of who he can, of who we can be with just his love with just his love is too small. Our view of all that is, is just too small. Because loving so freely, loving so freely, it scares us. Let's be honest. It scares us. Our sinful self-centeredness wants to have control over who I love and who I don't love. Nobody tells me I, can't, I, I, I should love him or shouldn't love him or like him or... And we want options. <laughs> we want options. I want, I want to be able to love who I want to love and love who I don't want to love. I don't want to like him, and that's okay. We want options. We don't like absolutes. Man, God, man, God is a God of absolutes. You're going to have a really hard time with God. 
if you don't like absolutes. How dare God tell me I must love this person? Do you know what they did? Do you know what they did? I want to conclude with a, a quote from this book. It's by this late Christian author, Tim Hansel. It's in his book uh, called When I Relax, I Feel Guilty. And he writes some insights of, of what too many people want. What too many people want. He says, I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. It's up there on the screen. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God, of him, to make me love a black man or pick beats with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Man, we buy $3 worth of God when we get the order wrong. When we get the order wrong, we're buying $3 worth of God. Man, even less. When it comes to intimacy with God and others, $3 worth of God is going to get you $3 worth of life and freedom and intimacy. Growing in the knowledge of God's love for me paralyzes self-centeredness. Growing in the knowledge of his love for you paralyzes your self-centeredness. It paralyzes fear. It paralyzes insecurities. Paralyzes. And if the order doesn't drive deeper into our hearts that we're first loved God by God before we did anything, we will never love others first before they've done anything. We will never love God as we should, and we will never love our neighbor first before they've done anything.